Michael Swickard here. Welcome to Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Our award-winning Hatch Green and Red Chili, boy, is it good. It's from locally owned farms in Hatch, New Mexico, which everybody knows is the chili capital of the world. The latest best chili, in my opinion, is the Christmas chili. That's Red and green combined, it's yum, and I'll talk more about it in just a minute. Every day is someone's birthday, and today is the birthday of someone special to southern New Mexico, and especially to New Mexico State University. Born on this day in 1954 was Duriel Ladon Harris, Jr. He was born in Port Arthur, Texas, and if you've been to the NMSU football stadium, like if you were lucky enough to be there at the great game last Saturday, two days ago, where the NMSU Aggies won their 10th victory in football this year, you'd have seen the New Mexico State Ring of Honor, which celebrates such Aggie football notables as Danny Villanueva, Pritcher Pilot, Bob Gators, Joe Pisarczyk, Roy Jarella, and Duriel Harris that we're talking about. Duriel Harris graduated from Stephen F. Austin High School in Port Arthur, Texas in 1972, came to the Aggies on a football scholarship in 1973. Now, an interesting statistic is that Duriel Harris is tied with five other Aggies for the longest kickoff return, which was 100 yards. See, they only counted as 100 yards, but it was actually a return of 104 yards against the University of Tulsa for a touchdown. Now, initially at NMSU, Duriel Harris was a running back. His sophomore year, he ran the ball 36 times for uh, 250 yards. But as somebody noted, he was sneaky fast, and that showed as a punt and kickoff returner, which is talked about 104 yards. So he moved to the position of wide receiver where he had 89 career receptions for 1,562 total yards and 13 touchdowns. He did so in an offense that was really run-focused, uh, but they threw to him from time to time. You know, he averaged over 17 yards a reception. The best of his football abilities, though, was yet to come. He was drafted 80th overall in the third round of the 1976 NFL draft, and he was drafted by the Miami Dolphins, who was under the leadership of the legendary Don Shula. Duriel Harris even got to play in a Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl 17, the end of the 1982 season, and no, they didn't win, but they got to play in a Super Bowl. In 1984, he was traded to the Cleveland Browns, but ended up in November playing with the Dallas Cowboys. Next year, he was back in Miami, and later that next uh, November, he retired. For his career in the National Football League, Duriel Harris had 5,055 total receiving yards with 20 touchdowns. He's worked in radio and television uh, broadcasting, uh, and he's been an actor, get this, in a television series and in a film, and in 1988, he was in the television series Superboy. He played Theodore in the first season, episode five. And in 1991, he was in the movie Convicts. He played convict number one. 
He was in that movie with Roger with Robert Duvall and James Earl Jones, among others. We, with this podcast, wish Duriel Harris a happy birthday and a big thanks for coming to Las Cruces and being one of the NMSU Aggie football greats. Once an NMSU Aggie, always an NMSU Aggie. Happy birthday. Michael Swickard here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company. Hit subscribe if you want to automatically get these podcasts. Since I was speaking about a former NMSU football great, Duriel Harris, I want to talk about a New Mexico high school football player who went and became a college great football player and played in the NFL and then became a great broadcaster. And there's more to the story even beyond that, so stay tuned for one more thing after we talk here. Thomas Jefferson Brookshire was born in Roswell, New Mexico in 1931. He was a nine-letter athlete for Roswell High School Coyotes, lettering in football, baseball, and basketball for three years, so he got nine letters. When he graduated from Roswell High School in 1949, he was named All-State in football, baseball, and basketball. He attended the University of Colorado, where he played two of the sports. He was a defensive back, fullback, and and, uh, return specialist, but he was also a relief pitcher on the baseball team and played one season of minor league baseball for the Roswell Rockets. No, not the Goddard Rockets. They weren't in existence then. It was, a, it was a minor league team called the Roswell Rockets. In 1953, Thomas Brookshire was uh, drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, but he had to serve two years in the military. He played with Phila- the Philadelphia Eagles from 1956 through 1961, and he was the starting defensive back in the Eagles' NFL championship team in 1960. Now, an injury the next year at age 29 ended his football career. Now, after his retirement, his number 40 was retired by the Philadelphia Eagles to honor him. Now, he stepped into being a television sports announcer, and eventually he was paired up with Pat Summerall. They were the primary CBS broadcast team for NFL games in the 1970s. All this coming after coming from Roswell, New Mexico. Brookshire and Summerall called Super Bowls 10, 12, and 14, and they worked on four other Super Bowls. And get this, this is interesting to me. He was in the 1977 movie Black Sunday, which was partially filmed during Super Bowl X. And you can find both uh, Brookshire and Summerall in the movie database uh, for that movie, and they're listed as playing themselves in the movie. Oh, well, that's good. But there's more to this story about uh, the New Mexico Brookshire story. Tom Brookshire had a brother, Jack. He was 10 years older, and he worked for their father at the Brookshire Texaco, then on North Main Street in Roswell, New Mexico. But he was also in the New Mexico Army National Guard. Now, on January 3, 1941, the unit was mobilized for what was said to be a one year of service with the Army. In September, that unit, the 200th Coast Artillery, 
landed in the Philippines where they manned air anti-aircraft guns at Clark Field. The unit saw action starting the very first day of the war, and Jack was captured on Corregidor and survived the Bataan Death March. He was moved later in the war to the Japanese mainland. He did make it home, and we want to celebrate him and thank him for his service. Michael Swickert here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces. Hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. Here's an Old West quotation. Lincoln County Sheriff Pat Garrett was asked by a reporter if he was nervous when he was in the darkened room of Pete Maxwell. That was when he shot and killed Billy the Kid, July 14, 1881. He answered to the reporter, he said, No, a fellow with a nervous condition wouldn't last long in my business. Consider that Sheriff Pat Garrett and two deputies were in the midst of many men, very, very rough men who hated them. They came, they did their business, and they left safely. That's amazing. In the Old West, especially in New Mexico, there's one thing that really made kind of a big change, and I want to talk about it. It uh, uh, is the Fred Harvey Company, which ran the Harvey House chain of restaurants, hotels, and the things that were connected to the railroads. Now, it was founded in 1876. It served the then-growing number of people traveling on trains on the railroads. The name remains, but the business ended completely after World War I when people started flying, driving, and not taking the train. The more we had pavement, the less people took the train. Fred Harvey was born in England in 1835, and at age 15, he came to the United States where he took the very first job he could find. It was a dishwashing job for $2 a day. Saving his money, he went to New Orleans where he worked in the restaurant industry, learning the business. After the Civil War, and he worked in some restaurants and was doing some things. He started a restaurant here and there, but after the Civil War, the restaurants really started to pop up because they were really building restaurants quickly. And people started traveling. But there was a huge problem. The railroad put all of their attention on keeping the locomotive going and the tracks on the ground. Little thought was given to the actual feeding and taking care of the people. So there were no dining cars, and they stopped to rewater and refuel about every 100 miles, but there were no facilities. So Fred Harvey came up with an idea. He was sure that there was a profitable business in serving these hungry people. He met with the superintendent of the Atkinson, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad, who liked the idea, and so he tried the concept, which proved to be a real winner. Fred Harvey's business plan focused on having reasonable prices, good food, with great service, and a, get this, clean environment. What a winner it became until people quit taking the trains, but there was a number of decades where it was good. Now, at the time of most use, there were 84 Harvey restaurants, and they were all at train stations, 15 hotels, including Santa Fe Gallup and, I believe, Albuquerque. There was a bunch of dining cars on the busiest train routes. It was, it was a big, big deal. 
But there was something even more important for uh, us out in the West. It was an idea Fred Harvey came. He came to hire women as the wait staff. Harvey girls were recruited in newspaper ads all over the United States. You had to have at least an eighth grade education, good moral character, good manners, be neat and articulate, and be single. They couldn't get married. Most were between the ages of 18 and 30. Wages were about $17.50 a month, but you got free room, board, and uniforms. So you got to save most of that. Now, cowboy wit Will Rogers, <clears throat> he said, In the early days, the travelers fed on buffalo, so the buffalo got his picture on the nickel. Well, Fred Harvey should have his picture on one side of the dime, and one of his waitresses with her arms full of delicious ham and eggs on the other side of the dime because they kept the West supplied with food, get this, with food and wives. Yes, many, many became wives, which brought a stabilizing influence to many communities. And I'm going to talk more about that at another time because that, that was a real change. Otherwise, there was no other way that women would normally get out into the wilds of New Mexico and without uh, some reason you either were a school teacher and there weren't that many of them or you had to be related to somebody to bring you out. <clears throat> now the radio stations in my little slice of paradise are playing Christmas tunes and it's time to consider Christmas chili at the Fresh Chili Company. And I'm speaking from experience since this is my favorite flavor, combining both red and green chili to make Christmas chili. Uh, the Hatch 575 Red and Green uh, Chili Christmas Six Pack satisfies the chili hunger in you like you can't imagine. Me, I like the medium heat. You can get it mild, medium, or hot. Now, if you're a fan of green enchiladas, get the roasted green chili sauce in mild, medium, and hot. Its rich, smoky undertones really helps the roast green chili with the tang of lime juice. Turns your enchiladas into a masterpiece worthy of taking a picture of just before serving. And, you know, I think you ought to take a picture of the satisfied faces. Now... Uh, this is Michael Swickard with Enchanting Stories in Mexico, brought to you by the Fresh Chili Company. Thank you for your time today. We'll always have lots of news and stories about New Mexico for you on these podcasts. If you have something or someone you'd like me to talk about, write to me, michael at freshchilico.com, michael at freshchilico.com. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, yes, and eat plenty of that good Hatch Valley chili. Like I always say, some chili's good, more is better, as long as it's Hatch Valley Chili. Bye for now.